Clyde Design Board. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body of the SK system. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. It must be annihilated. Send Rick and Daddy on war rocket Ajax. In 2013, Ming the Merciless, ruler of the known universe, declares the Earth to immediate termination. To accomplish this awesome decree, Rick and Danny are dispatched to the planet on War Rocket Ajax. The two encountered something they never thought they'd find, though. Movies. Stalled in their given task, Rick and Denny comb the movies of the Earth, sending reports of their greatness back to Mungo in what is now called the Hail Ming Power Hour. This is our New Year episode. We're bringing it into 2022 with a special episode of the Hell Ming Power Hour. I myself am Rick Morgan, one of your hosts, and I'm here with my brother, Mr. The Other Side of the Chicken, Danny Bennett. <laughs> That's right. And welcome back to Hail Ming Power Hour. We're excited to talk about another one of our favorite movies. And for that reason, we, we also have a we have a flaming phoenix chicken with us. Right. So he refuses to be seen, but that's all right. But it's our good friend, Movie Aficionado. This guy, let me tell you, I mean, I watch a lot of crap, but this guy, he buries me under the table. I, I can't find a movie that he hasn't seen. Or if I find something, he's like, oh, yeah, I saw that 20 years ago. It's the one and only Jason Gray. What's up, man? Hello, thank you for having me. That is a fantastic introduction, and I am doing great. <laughs> yeah, we've talked and about I it. I just want to say, you yeah. have found movies I haven't seen, and oh. I immediately go out and find them and suffer. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah, one of them was Monster High. Oh, my God. Ooh. That was a rough one. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew you were kind of, you know, keeping up with all the short bus stuff. And that's the ones I was be like, wow, he's actually seen this. <laughs> yeah, not many people say, yeah, Winter Beast. Winter Beast is amazing. <laughs> that's not the word I would pick, but okay. <laughs> I thought Monster High was a cartoon that my daughter watched. Like, is it is it not that? It is that, and that cartoon makes finding the DVD so difficult. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. it's totally different. So, yeah, I, I don't recommend the movie version. <laughs> With that being yeah. said, we're going to talk about a middle-of-the-road 1990s movie. came out from 1994. It's a classic. I, I don't care what anybody else says. This movie is a classic. It really sets a tone for a lot of stuff that comes after. We are talking about the one and only The Crow. 
And we were talking about bringing this up, and we just happened to see Jason saying, hey, one of these days, there's going to be a show where I can talk about the crow. We're like, hey, we're talking about doing the crow. Let's crow it together. <laughs> and that's why I'm here. Yes, the crow <laughs> is absolutely one of my all-time favorite movies. As well, it should be. It should be everyone's. I mean, I'm not just saying that because, you know, that was that was around the perfect time for me or the fact that it was one of the first well-executed comic book movies. Yeah. Um, but but just just for the fact that it has its own mythology and and it was incredibly well executed. And it's one of Alex Proyas's good movies. When Alex Proyas stumbles on a good movie, he makes yeah. a good movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. And. Who can forget when they say this in the movie? You can count on my stool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you added echo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> so, yeah, man, 1994. I'll tell you what, we're just going to go ahead and jump into this one and, and just, I'm going to ask it. Danny, I'm almost let you shoot first, man. What's your number one reason to watch The Crow? Well, you know, it might not be the best uh, reason to watch it, but I'm going to say my number one reason to watch it is is Ernie Hudson, surprisingly. Ernie Hudson brings so much to this movie. He he brings the tone down when it's necessary and uh, he he makes it he kind of takes away some of the melodrama and makes it a little bit more real, which which makes the melodrama play so much harder. Yeah. To me, this is who you're taking the trip with, too, man. I mean, when I watch this movie, I identify with Ernie through all of this. And I don't know, man. And just his quirkiness, the hard time he gets from his boss, you know. And, hey, your guy's on the roof. You missed him. (laughs) You know, he's great, man. I love Ernie. I wrote wrote down uh, kind of the same thing, that he just brings so much to this movie. He's... uh, his character is so gentle and caring and not what you would expect from this kind of character in this kind of movie. Yeah. Well, everybody else is a douchebag. (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, he, he doesn't do everything perfectly, but you're more on his team than anybody else. Well, I think he was a juxtaposition from the James O'Barr comic. I'm going to say, you know, I'm not going to lie and say, I haven't read in a long time. I haven't read the entirety of it. I'm familiar with it. And I think somebody let me borrow it in high school and I probably read through the whole thing then, but I don't own it. So I'm not going to say I checked back through it, but I do think that the cop and, and Darla's character are, are additions to the story that weren't in the comic itself. There is a cop in the comic, but he's a little bit more like the, uh, the police chief or, or Lieutenant or whatever he is in this movie. He's right. a little more in that vein. Kind of more of a hard-nosed, like, yeah. yeah. like, like. But also, it's been a while since I've read it, so I might be misremembering that. <laughs> I'm familiar with it, and I haven't read in a long time. But I, I do remember there were some significant changes, but I think they were for the better. Yeah. Again, for, for storytelling's sake, I think they did a good job. All right. Jason, I'm going to turn you loose, man. Give, uh, us your, give you some reason, man. You can't talk about this movie without bringing up Brandon Lee. Right. No, that's absolutely right. I haven't seen a whole lot of his other movies, but everything else before this, is just, his performance is just kind of, eh, he's okay, he's there. He was kind of known as just uh, uh, Bruce Lee's kid. Right. But with this movie, he 
elevates his performance and uh, uh, like Ernie Hudson brings so much to this role, so much depth. Yeah. Oh man. That's it's, it's the second thing I've got on my list. Of course, I'm an old Bruce Lee fan, of course, but mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't seen the other movies he was in. I, I really enjoyed Rapid Fire, but it still didn't break in through. There's no doubt that this was going to be the one that did it. And I'm yeah. sorry, we haven't found a replacement for him yet for The Crow. Look at me the times they've tried to reboot and rehash and do this, and they just can't get it right. No. You have to credit that up to Bru- uh, to Brandon, man, because I think he, he pretty much nails it in this movie. Well, and, yeah. and I think that it, uh, James Obar had kind of uh, rallied against having ha- having him because he was afraid of, like, like you said, his earlier movies, but Laser Mission and and Rapid Fire and, and Showdown in Little Tokyo. You know, mm-hmm. they were all action flicks, and he was afraid it was going to become like a direct-to-video action flick kind of thing. Right. Um, but he transcended the part. I mean, it, it's, it's not a – I don't want to say it's not a beefy part, but it's a really gothic revenge story. So, you know, it could easily just be, you know, kind of phoned in. And I think he took it and he did everything he possibly could with it. Yeah. He, he humanized the character in ways exactly. that I don't think a lot of their actors could. Yeah. That's, that's something that I think is what makes this so different, you know, cause you can almost say, well, you're kind of taking the gothic feel of maybe Batman or something like that and creating the story. But what he does with the coming back, even though it's a revenge story, it's very humanized because of his emotions and what he does bring to it that I really think it sets it apart from, from other things that are like it. I, again, I, even watching it now, I haven't seen it in a long time. That really holds up. That whole aspect of it, he's still the right person for that role. Mm-hmm. It's quite amazing, actually. He's not the Terminator. Right, right. He's not and cold-blooded. He, he very well could be. Yeah. Well, he can turn it on and off. and But again, that's what makes it relatable to a certain degree, right? Because everybody has a sense of revenge in them. But right, when yeah. it's something to this level, look at how he can be, you know, the, the the hard killer when he has to be, but then turn around and can be gentle and try to right wrongs, right? I think about mm-hmm. uh, the girl's mom when he's forcing, you know, the, the morphine back out of her arms and stuff. He's doing the right thing for the right reason. So creating compassion, maybe not necessarily for her, but because of who she is to the girl. Right. 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 It's, it's great. All right. He's not just an Avenger. He's, he's a, he's still who he was before he died or he's still trying to hold on to that. Right. Yeah. That's what makes it interesting. I have got, it's not, I don't really have, it's not really a reason. It's more of a question. And it's basically saying, is this the definitive 90s movie? Because this thing is a stamp it, it of is the time. It is very 90s. Yeah. It, it is, is very, very much of its time. And even though it's of its time, there's also this uh, kind of timeless quality to it. Like, right. When I watched it the other day for, to take notes, not that I had to because I practically had this memorized. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> everything still really works. Yes, some of the effects look dated. Some of the performances are are scenery chewing or campy or just not that good but it still really holds up today more than a lot of other contemporary movies so my my question about it is it's almost how i look at robocop right Mm -hmm. because robocop to me is 
It's a good companion piece, really. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a definite 80s movie. When somebody says, what's the 80s? You can almost throw that in, and you're going to pick up on a lot of elements. I think this is the same way because of the music and the way that it's put together. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's very kind of timeless, too. Kind of like how I feel about RoboCop. You can really interchange that to not necessarily being a timestamp, but it mm-hmm. really is a sign of the times, too. It's kind of kind of a trick question, I guess I'm saying. And somehow both movies are set in Detroit. Oh, yeah. That's right. Well, Although and, they never really say it in this movie. If you know the stuff about Devil's Night and they right. drop Motor City a few times, you kind of right. know this is supposed to be Detroit. Right. Well, and if there are a couple of things that are, you know, ubiquitous to, to, to the 90s. There's that weird slow-mo that they used and everything. Mm-hmm. I think it was on like the, the it was on a, a, an editing software because a friend of mine in film school had it. And it was like this digital slowing effect that that you see it in what Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and you see it in this, where they have these weird slow-mo sequences that just don't look right. And I'm glad that they they stopped doing them. And and like you you put the nail on the head, and it's actually my next reason. The soundtrack. I, yeah. I mean, it's it's every bit 90s. Um, and you got, you know, music from the the cure and nine inch nails, but you also got Stone Devil Pilots. Rome, you got you got Henry Rollins in there, yeah, yeah. singing his his Ghost Rider song, which is just <laughs> riding around in a blue jumpsuit. Yeah, it's like <laughs> what's going on here? But but it is a time capsule to to yeah. like that whole grunge movement and the industrial grunge movement that right. happened during that time. Plus the goth movement, you know, and the I, I can't, you know, I graduated in ninety three. So, I mean, like all this, you know, the, the goth movement and all the, you know, the esoteric, you know, walking around at night with your long coat on kind of thing. That's definitely that's definitely a snapshot of, yep. of my teenage and early 20s right there. Yeah. I mean, that's that's who you were when I met you, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had the soundtrack written down, too, even though it's funny, this type of music isn't my normal type of music, but this soundtrack just hit for me minus like one or two songs yeah i wore it out i <laughs> I, I, I agree I mean, i've got the cd you got you got nine inch nails putting a song together for it nine inch nails didn't yeah. do what you wanted you know trent reznor wasn't doing what people wanted him to do but i guess you know my guess is that they said we're gonna do this crow movie and he was like oh sign me up yeah yeah i mean uh, yeah again it's it's on my list too because you know, it's one of those things, again, that ties into that question I had because it kind of dates it, but it doesn't hinder it. It doesn't make right. it unenjoyable because of where it came from. So that's kind of the beauty of this. Even the shots of the bands that are playing in these clubs, it's total 90s, right? Yeah. But it doesn't take you <laughs> out of it. It doesn't take you out of it. Well, because it's, it's such a simple storyline. You know, yeah. it could take place in any time. And sure, it's got trappings of a particular timeline. But it could be last week, you know, add some cell phones and it could be last week. All right, Jason, back to you, man. What you got? Well, since you took soundtrack from me, I am going to say I'm going to say the score. Yes. Yeah. I love that just as much as the soundtrack, if not more. And it actually started getting me into uh, movie soundtracks, uh, movie scores 
and I've followed uh, Graham Ravel's career since this movie. I went to see the movie Jade because he <laughs> they did the uh, soundtrack for that. Wow, that's the score. That's, that's, I keep doing that's, that. That's no, a no. calling. That's a calling card right there. Hey, I'm gonna go see this movie because this dude did did the soundtrack for it. <laughs> I, I feel the same way about. I've I feel not the same done about, that since. <laughs> oh well. Was it the Jade burned you or, or just? Oh yeah, know? Jade. Jade was. It was an okay movie, but not that great. wasn't worth seeing in theaters. Right. But the score was good. <laughs> I feel. I feel the same way about a uh, John Murphy. When I when I see him on something, I I know that the that. Yeah, you know, it's gonna have trappings of the same four songs he always does, mm-hmm. but they're always just a little different. And I, I just, I dig it. So I mean, yeah, I, I agree that the score really brings you in, and also the the imagery. I think the 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 storyboard artist and and the person who designed the city really did a great job of making it bleak. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't look like any city I've ever been to. There's lots of high crosses and stone buildings and churches everywhere, but like it's really bleak and it, it really does a great job of, of purveying or uh, purveying the story when, when the story isn't, you know, just in your face. <laughs> yeah. The miniatures like a lot have, have like uh, we've said a lot already, the miniatures look kind of dated, but it still works for this movie. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it's again, you can put it up against anything else. That's this kind of storytelling and it still works. So I have got for my next reason, uh, T Bird and his death. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I hate this guy. I can't even think of the actor's name, but no matter what he's in, he's one of those guys that you just hate. I mean, from from the Warriors yep. to Commando to Dreamscape, anything Twin this guy's. I mean, you think the guy's in? You just you want to punch him, right? Yeah. <laughs> He does a great job playing this character. I mean, and, and I think this is the most egregious that character has ever been as far as just hateable. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that Caesar haircut too, right? I think that's what mm-hmm. did it. <laughs> but yeah, man, I mean, I have to admit, I kind of dig the car, right? We took an, an old T-Bird. We put the, hey, how about him having like the LED lights underneath the car? The ground effects, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of ahead of its time. Yeah. It was right at that time. Yeah, it, it was very much very nineties. Okay, I, I thought they were yeah. a little later on. I thought it was another year or two. But yeah, I mean, him and his buddies all like like taking shots and swallowing down bullets. It's like, <laughs> there you go. There's your introduction right there. Your your bad yeah. guys are swallowing bullets around a table in a bar. And As I, I wrote down for them, they're doing shots of shots. Yeah. <laughs> That's a that's a that's a little morbid considering you know, the 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 difficulties that this uh, that this production faced. Ooh, yeah. But I mean, you know, you, you can't help that. I, I'm glad they finished making the movie because it's a great homage. But it's such a tragedy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. But yeah, I just I, I love the whole scene where, you know, when when he finally catches up with him, straps him in his car, duct tapes him to the seat, puts the bomb in his lap. Sends him on his way, and you get that at the same time the lighting of the cigarette, the lighting or lighting <laughs> the lighter, and the emblem on the ground. I mean, it's just yeah. mm-hmm. it's iconic. It's a great middle point. Yeah, yeah. And, and that switch from his uh, T Bird's confidence of 
just being the the not quite the top badass, but among his group. Right. Um, yeah. And then once he realizes who he's who his passenger is, and just it all falls away from his face. It's a greatly acted scene. Yeah. Yeah, and well, and it it flies in the face. You know, T Bird is very much you know there there's live and there's dead. You know, there's there's real and there's fake, and and there there ain't no afterlife. That's why I'm not worried about any, you know, penalties for my actions. Mm-hmm. It, he's very certain in all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even to the point, I don't know if he's if he's quoting Shakespeare or the Bible when he says, you know, and he, he, he saw how awful goodness was and, and all that that he's reading. I, I, that I know is, the lines. That's the Bible. I, I wasn't sure when I rewatched it, I was like, it almost sounds Shakespearean. So I'm not sure. I always thought it had been the Bible, but I'm not familiar with the verse. But again, even that he's mocking this whole afterlife. He's mocking it because he's so sure that, you know, nothing outside of this world can harm him. And that's what he's got to come to terms with right before he goes off that right off that dock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I just, I love that scene. And of course you can't think of a better person to get killed off to. So. Oh yeah. And, you got to hate that guy. Yeah. Even the cops are like, well, <laughs> it's T-Bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They are that way about all of them. <laughs> all right, well, and- my next reason is, is in that same sequence. What about skank yeah. getting hit by a Yugo <laughs> and the guy getting out being a dude with a ponytail who's like, you ass hair, you hit my car. <laughs> it's a Yugo. <laughs> like, like, I, I love this. This Again, like, and I know I said it with Ernie Hudson, but I love this interspersed. It's almost like a real, real flat humor that goes <laughs> along with it. This guy is like mad about, him hitting his car when he just hit somebody in the street. And, and then you know, it's followed up right after with the two cops, you know, and I'm just like, you can't even legally call this cream, put in his coffee. And then his, his partner takes off and he gets a lap full of hot coffee. It's, it's like everybody not involved in that T-bird scenario. It's just like a window dressing of, 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 of bonkers humor to the point where, where skank beats that guy up and starts trying to catch up with him in that Yugo, you know, it's like, it's like a little wind up car. If you've never ridden in a Yugo before, (laughs) that's exactly what it is. Fortunately, I have not. I played in a band with a guy that had one and I thought there was times we're going to have to get out and push it to get up some hills. (laughs) So they pretty much nailed the problems of the Yugo in this movie. Just the fact they had one in there is awesome. Spinning off of this is something I wrote down as one of my reasons is just some of the just almost background throwaway lines of humor this movie has. Like yeah. like the guy hitting him like, you hit my car. The, there's a number of lines with Fun Boy <laughs> after he gets shot. Look what you did to my sheets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The cops no less than twice shout out, what the crap? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. the whole conversation about hot dogs, where he's like, "Give me more onions, man! Give me more onions!" No, man, you gotta put, like, they make you, gotta you fart. The, <laughs> you got to put the mustard underneath. <laughs> I have written down. I have written down just for fun the proper way to make a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. a good times with Ernie Hudson, man. That's one of the people I'd like to meet, Ernie Hudson. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look uh, at the stuff he's been in, man. I mean, ah. Be a, a great Q and A to see. Yeah, agreed. Sure. Yeah. All right, Jason, you want to do another one? Go ahead, man. Uh, 
No, I kind of just did my next one with the uh, the throwaway humor. Yeah, yeah go, ahead. go ahead, do another one. <laughs> okay, um, graffiti. Yeah, yeah. I love uh, all the tags that Eric does with the deaths. He he does the big blood crow. There's the firebird. Yep, and to me, that was one of the big things. The second movie got wrong was uh, with this movie Eric has to go and he actually physically does yes. creates the, the birds Agreed. in the next movie they just kind of happen for no real reason and that- yeah, like floating in that in that canal it just kind of yep. forms the crow it makes it more of an esoteric thing and less of, a, right. of an intentional sigil right yeah right Danny did you and I go see the second one together I know I saw Probably. it. I went and seen it at the theater, and I remember kind of going, yeah. We worked together at that point. Yeah. I was really excited about it because I was a huge fan of the first one. Right. And, you know, I, I think I liked it because I wanted to like it. I haven't revisited it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just I, – I remember going and seeing it at the theater and just kind of going – it was that thing again, right? I mean, it, it's you're missing all the, 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 the lightning in the bottle that made the first one so great. And yeah, you're making him out to be something different than we were introduced to in the first movie. So that's kind of how you kill any series, right? <laughs> Start changing it up. Well, and plus they were trying to make this first one in black and white. And for other reasons, they decided to go ahead and just kind of give it a color scheme that was that was less on the vivid colors. And they threw that out the window with the second one. Yeah. It was more of a sepia tone, if I right. remember. And, that's, and it's, that's what I remember it, about it too, yeah. It's a whole different feel yeah yeah i mean this movie is i mean you could almost say it's black and white i mean they there's not a lot of color in it at all except for the leds under under the his 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 ground effects on his car that's about it (laughs) the color scheme of the movie is black white and fire yeah yeah pretty much i agree with you though i i love the fact that he that he stamps these murder scenes they're they're so ornate it's very comic book it's a very Mm -hmm. comic book all right, I have got the pawn shop scene. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I love the whole introdu- introduction where the first guy goes in there and you're kind of getting how this whole system works. And then when Eric goes in there and he breaks all of this down for him, the whole idea of holding up the rings and saying every one of these is somebody's life, I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's really, really awesome. Yeah. It's real preachy. Yeah, yeah. And, in a good way. Yeah, right. And the fact of him using that as a calling card for the rest of the group that he's coming after him, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's a great setup. It's a great scene. This is where you get to see a lot of different sides of the character through Brandon as well. I just mm-hmm. think it's a well put together scene, man. And it the guy is, go, <laughs> go ahead. It is lifted almost word for word from the comic book. Oh, really? With a nice. few exceptions. Huh. It's good when they can do that because the comic book is a storyboard. And that's yeah. that's what made Zack Snyder, you know, where he is today, is that he realized that a comic book's a storyboard. And if he sticks to it, then all he has to do is not screw up the cinematography. Now, I got my you know personal issues with him, but sure. he does realize that when people want a comic book movie, the source material of the comic is the best place to go. Don't mm-hmm. rewrite it, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole reason you were talking about making it in the first place, right? Because you had the material already. Right. Why screw with it, right? Yeah. 
True. All right, Danny, what you got? I got the crow's eye view. There's oh, yeah. a lot of scenes that that have mm-hmm. the crow going in first as kind of his scout, but he, he's his link to the mortal world. He's he's his hunter that, that leads him to his next victim. And there the, the scene opens up with this walleye colorless view of the crow, you know, flying in and kind of getting the lay of the land before he walks in and and, and does the task. And you know, just like the, yeah, there are so many scenes that are like that, where there's a central point and everything radiates out from it. I don't know if that's the cinematographer, um, Darius Welski, I looked up and I did look up the guy who did the score too, but I didn't write it down. Or, or if it's Alex Proyas, because it's, it's a fantastic way to, to kind of like, just, just give you a real global view of the action before it occurs. Gives you the whole Beastmaster feel, right? (laughs) (laughs) True. Uh, All right. So, you know what? Thinking about that, that whole scene, uh, and bringing up Alex as the director, I can't help but bring up Dark City. Another one of my favorite movies. Yeah, and I can see why. Yeah. It's so good. It's unsung. Like, people have not heard of it, but it is so good. Mm -hmm. And I... And I think that kind of allows you to say, yes, he was the right choice for this movie because it just works. Yeah. He, he, he has that that look. And I don't know, kind of going with what Danny was saying, don't know if the cinematic ideas are from Alex or the cinematographer that he's got, but it really puts a stamp on that style of work. I don't know about the director of photography either. Like Right. Like as Bill Pope and 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 Barry Sonnenfeld started out as, as DPs and and you can see their movies immediately. Right. Yeah. No question about it. All right, Jason, what you got? Uh, uh Tony Todd. Tony Todd. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm gonna say this right now. I'm so shocked that Danny's first reason was not Tony Todd. <laughs> I love seeing Tony Todd, but but he's kind of a throwaway character in this. They could have yeah. they could have put anybody there. But I'm glad they put Tony Todd there. Yeah, but like a lot of the other actors in this movie, he brings more to that one small character than he has any right to be bringing. Agreed. He's <laughs> he's he's so formidable. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's Tony Todd. I mean, you know, uh, everybody knows that listen to the show that we are huge Tony Todd fans, and I totally forgot he was even in this until I started watching it. It's like holy crap, that's Tony Todd. You know, because he's not typical Tony Todd, where he snaps his eyes and says something like, look, you know. You're right, so, right. Yeah. He's real, he's real cool. Yeah. In this one. And right. And at this point, uh Candyman had come out by now, right? Yes. Yeah. It's ninety two. And, and so it's kind of uh he's kind of off to the side. He's at this point you would have expected him to be the big bad, but no, he's just Right. Just another uh, uh, second-hand soldier at uh, Top Dollar's side. Yeah. It's true. Right. And he plays it well. You have to have that character, right? He's the one yeah. that kind of keeps us cool about everything. He's the one that can go and get the information. You know, he's the one that goes out and grabs a girl. He, he's 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 got his crap together. He's not he's not like the crazy bunch that, he, that are going out and tearing up stuff. Burn it up! Burn it up! Burn you know? it up! Burn! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, he he's he's Mr. Cool in this one, man. And you have to have that. I couldn't agree more. I mean, 
if I had Tony Todd as my right hand man, I wouldn't be too worried about stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. What you got to worry about? Right. Kane Hodder. <laughs> That'd be a pair right there. Uh, how about uh, how about the first throwdown in the alleyway, right? With the yeah. guy with the knives. Yep. Ten ten. Ten ten. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's just a great introduction to what, you know, the character can do. Because he's still yeah, yeah. learning his abilities too, right? Because mm-hmm. he just swan dives off the top of the building, crash lands, and laughs when he hits the ground. And that's just setting the stage. And then you start seeing the anger build as he gets a little more brave at what he's able able to do. You know, you get a lot of information in mm-hmm. this scene. Of what he is and what he becomes as the story, you know, develops. It's, I don't know, man. It really sets the stage for what's to come and could be could be the best kill of the whole thing as far as the battle itself, right? It's a good fight. Yeah, with the, the fight and the kill kind of work well together here. My favorite kill is T-Bird because, you know, yeah. nice big explosion and the, the that fire really sticks in your memory. Right. Yeah. But there's no conflict to it. There, it, he just right duct tape the chair and it's done. This, this you're here. You're seeing the abilities. Yeah. You're seeing the hands to hand kind of combat stuff. Uh, there's so many of those things that come to mind. Even with Fun Boy getting shot through the hand and going woo, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, yeah. What would you do if all of a sudden you were the Wolverine? Right? You just instantly right. heal. Yeah. What kind of attitude would you have? <laughs> Well, it ends. It, there's no doubt that the ten ten kill ends with the best one liner, where where he, yeah you know he he follows the knife up and suddenly he's right in ten ten's face and he says victims, aren't we all? Right. It's just good time, you know. It's a yeah. tables are turned. Yeah. You know these guys are are now put on notice that they're um, that they're not in charge of the situation anymore. Right. And you can say this about so many. Uh, revenge movies but i think it's really evident here that this is really a slasher movie but you're on the side of the slasher sure yeah well it's a it's a it's a revenge flick i mean it's it's tell me this isn't i know what you did last devil's night and you're on the side of the gorton fisherman (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm always on the side of the gorton fisherman (laughs) it's it's his fashion sense that gets me yeah, yeah. It's hard to sneak up on people in a, in, in a set of rubbers. <laughs> What's that squeaking, squeaking sound? <laughs> I don't know. Just forget about it, baby. It's probably the wind. <laughs> I mean, he, he he definitely approaches the, the the kills with the methodical nature of of a of a slasher, but you know, he's a killer, killing killers. So yeah, you know, just like I spit on your grave or anything is. Pumpkinhead. <laughs> Pumpkinhead is in your mind. <laughs> yeah, I um, mean, I, I, that's a great case for it because you are. You're rooting for this guy to get revenge for what they did to Shelly and, mm-hmm. and him. And yeah, these well, are these and, are bad guys. And they have to, to keep the up in the ante. And that's why they've got top dollar there. Because he well, though he wasn't there. He's uh, he's so much worse a guy because he's not just an anarchist on the ground level. He's the one that's making sure that people keep getting hurt. Right. Yeah. And it, like he says, he's the one that made the decision to 
clear that building and get rid of them. Right. right. And he's got such awesome fashion sense. That's 90s right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Talk about 90s. Yeah, that's true. Top dollar. Yeah. Yep. And you got a sidekick. I like her eyes. You know, yeah. Add, adding that messed up, you know, kind of personality there. Uh, possibly the most dangerous person out of the bunch. Uh-huh. I mean, well, she knows what's going on. Yeah. Well, she knows. Yeah, she figures it all out, right? So... She's the seer of sorts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's awesome. All right, Jason, I, I know we, we talked about this. Danny and I saw this opening night back in the day. I believe that's right. Did we go see it? I, I think I think I may have seen it before. The, I'd have to look up the timing on it. I know we've seen it together. It was but. like a midnight showing when it was like Ooh. when it was released i used to go to those all the time i don't remember yeah. it being you know that that we saw that together we've seen some movies i, I okay. don't think that we saw this right. well maybe not then i thought we did so i know we've seen so many together it's hard to remember them all we definitely did the star wars trilogy yeah definitely and when they re-released them so but i want to get to because i know jason has such a fondness for this movie what what is it to you that you think what makes it one of your all-time favorites in a lot of ways it's the simplicity but effectiveness of the story it, the revenge story is simply told it's got this heightened level of reality re, reality to it yeah and uh it uh it's just such a personal story that's so easy to connect to it it's almost hard to explain exactly why i'm sure part of the reason why this connects me is i saw it at the age of 17 or so right yeah and it, it at the height of uh my love of comic books and getting into that whole um well i never really got into the whole goth thing but uh uh there's some nostalgia to it and just yeah it, it hit it at just the right time for yeah. who I was at the time. Well, it's the fact that it got it right too, right? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. that's that's always a winner, right? When you feel like they finally got one right, and yeah, and it's impressionable time too, right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and and it doesn't take itself itself too seriously like this sort of movie could easily, right? Right. That's, but that's, it's not too funny at the same time it, it knows yeah. when to do which sort of thing when it has when it it knows when to go for the horror it knows when to go for the last just to keep things light and almost uh real in a way even though this is such a unreal movie well you bring up a great point because if you if you took the scene where he's on the rooftop and he's playing the guitar mm-hmm could totally take you out of it if somebody else did it. Right. But because of the way that they put it together and the fact that it frustrates him and he ends up, you know, getting mad and destroying the guitar and stuff, it works. Whereas yeah. in other cases it wouldn't work. So I, I think that's that's a very great point because the DC plague, right, that they've got is they do take it too serious. Which right. I think they're starting to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But you're 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 right on track with this. I think they they did just the right mixture of everything to make this thing work. And you got the right person playing in the role. Mm-hmm. It's the lightning in the bottle scenario, right? Very much so. And another thing about it is, 
you can go into this movie and just come out of it enjoying a very simple revenge story, but there's more to this movie. They actually worked in some really decent sort of uh, philosophy isn't quite the right word, Mm -hmm. but uh, uh, the emotions and... um, I'm struggling for a good word. Um, like like themes? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. works. I'm sure that it's not perfect. You know, the, yeah. the perfect word is 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 always on the tip of your tongue and it usually right. comes around later. Yep. But yeah. It's it's a, it's an art house action flick. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a tough that's a tough line to to take, you know, where you want it to be poignant and you want it to be artistic, but you also want it to be, you know, like like enjoyable and consumable. And, and yeah, I, I, I concur. It, it's kind of like I was thinking of it while you guys were talking about it. And I was thinking about what other superhero movies, you know, there are superhero movies they had done up until then that, that, that hold a place for me. Dark Man's one of them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Sam Raimi, you know, just, just, he's so over the top. It's hard to compare the two because I don't think hey, that's art house, but it's definitely like, like fun. It's like, yeah. it's yeah. like crumbs on the floor. It's like popcorn at the movie, you know, it's, it's more grand house than it is art house. But but then there's but then there's also like Blade, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Blade almost, you know. But Blade's got vampires and ultra gore and and lots of like like big set pieces, like the big altar at the end and all this stuff. The Crow is very, you fell into it, and you fell into the story, and you felt like you belonged in the story. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like you didn't fall into the story, and you're watching to see what happens next. You fell into the story, and you feel like. This is my story too. Somehow, mm-hmm. yeah. you you commiserate with the right people and you hate the right people, and the story goes where you want it to go. Ultimately, with some challenges in the middle, you know, like like the whole he 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 loses his immortality because they target the crow, which I think is another thing that wasn't in the comic, but it added this this element of mortality, right? That you need to 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 commiserate with the character. I think you nailed it earlier, even when, you know, Jason bringing up it being a slasher flick. But also, when you brought up, I spit on your grave, those kind of things, right? That's really what this movie is. In its simplistic form, it is a grand house flick. It is an exploitation (laughs) flick. It is, I spit on your grave. It's just done in a more fantastic way. So you're taking that simple story, which has been told time and time again, Give it a little flair. Give it the gothic background. Give it the good soundtrack, and it becomes a new bird. <laughs> See what I did there? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. But at the same time, what was I going to say? I just forgot what I was going to say because I come up with that cool thing. <laughs> uh, this movie should be full of fillers, right? It very mm-hmm. easily could be because of the simplistic uh, the simplicity of the movie. It right. could be chock full of filler but it's not. And I think that's what sets it apart. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I think I come back to uh, one particular scene that to me is the heart of this movie. And that's when Eric visits uh, Albrecht in his apartment. And that, that scene, it grounds so much of this movie and makes both of them so human that you just buy into all the fantastical stuff in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, good point. And it, it, yeah. it had this pervasive melancholy throughout this movie, but particularly in that scene. And you just, 
it's almost heartbreaking, which mm-hmm. is not anything you would expect if you told someone what the plot of this movie was. Hey, he's sitting there in his boxers. He's still wearing his hat, you know, and he's like, you're wearing your hat. <laughs> he's like, oh, 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 get it. Like, it's, it, it could be anybody in that apartment. Unlike when he meets Sarah, she walks into the desolation of the destroyed apartment and he's standing against the backdrop of the of, of the the window that he went through. All that is very comic book. Mm-hmm. So you need that interaction. And I, I absolutely agree with you 100 percent that that interaction between him and Albrecht manages to make you care about everything so much more. Because also Albrecht was there as the bystander who didn't die. And mm-hmm. he could he couldn't do what Eric is doing now. You know, he. He probably feels that same rage, but he's like, I can't do anything about it. I've got to move on and do the best I can for the living. Whereas Eric comes back to do right by that. And, and you can kind of feel with, with Albrecht that he's helping to do something to right some wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the acting in that scene is just phenomenal, especially for this sort of movie. I, I love the way that 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 that, uh, that that Brandon Lee walks around like he's seeing things for the first time too, like he knows where to go to the fridge and he knows what the beer is and how to open the bottle. But he looks at it like, "What is this again? Yeah, is this why I'm here? This isn't why I'm here." But I open this and drink it. That's what happens. Uh, there is a lot of that in the movie. Uh, if you pick up on it, he comes out of the grave and with like no memories whatsoever. And he slowly accumulates them as he goes along. Either he follows the crow to his next thing and he picks up the memories of uh, uh, this or that. He comes to his apartment. He pets his cat, which I must say, Gabriel is a shockingly good-looking cat for being left alone for an entire year. <laughs> He's Agreed. in good shape. <laughs> Agreed. Must be some big mice in that area. <laughs> and it, it just, he's slowly rebuilding his life and relearning it. And little things that Brandon does drive home that uh, he isn't part of this world anymore. He doesn't know certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. there's a, again, just to bring up dark man for a second, there's a, there's a parallel in that where he goes into that lab and there's a cat there and he reaches down and it hisses and, 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 and hits him. It's like the vengeance that he, that he's there for is you know, somehow that the animals, you know, the crow's involved, but, but like the cat's like, there's something wrong with you. And I, I can't, he has to kind of win back the real world, you know, but right now he's just vengeance, you know, like, right. I don't know if that even tracks, but, but I saw that and I thought of both of those scenes. Also, I spent a lot of my time in the nineties, you know, hoping that I could, you know, dig into a, a dumpster and find an awesome trench coat. because. <laughs> Seems like everybody in those movies is like, oh, well, I, let me just look in this dumpster. Hey, look, the <laughs> coolest, like, anti-hero costume ever. And and I just, yeah, it never they, happened for me. I they, had to go buy coats. Well, they just, was, they never show the bum that it's on that they have to take it <laughs> off of. That's laying there dead. Nobody is cold out here. <laughs> and that was another thing I liked about this movie is little details they get right, like when uh, Eric crawls out of the grave. You see the slit down the back of his coat. He's not wearing uh, any shoes, which is what they do when uh, a mortician takes care of your body. They have to put the clothes on while you're laying down. They don't bother with shoes. And it's another one of those little little, uh, uh, details that ground it in reality before 
throwing you into Wolverine revenge mode. I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, th- I think that that like you said, that little detail of the of the slit the slit suit. I noticed it this time rewatching it, and I was like, "Did I notice that before?" Because I definitely notice it now. I'm sure I have every time, but it's such a good detail that it doesn't take you out of the story. Like, like if he had just appeared on his tombstone next to the crow or something, you know, like somehow having him claw his way out of the ground makes the whole thing more visceral, even though he hasn't rotted or anything. Like there are all these like, it's like this is important, but this is not. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I really think the choices that were made there were all really good. Yeah, yeah there, there's a lot of show don't tell with this movie, and it, right. and it, and it works very so very well. Yep, mm. yep. And that's that's again the magic of of this one getting it right. You know, you don't have to over-explain. Let the story play out. <laughs> you got everything you need here already. You know, based off the comic. Yep. Just just trying to capture that and make it make it work. I love the idea of you know how do how do you knock off the number one bad guy at the end? Well. You give him all the memories that you have stored up, the vengeance, <laughs> literally give it to him. And yeah. that's that's what does him in. So I mean I mean that's just it's just great. It's great. Yeah, he just yeah. transfers it to him, you know, it's absolution. Yeah. It's like I don't need this anymore. I'm yeah. done here. But 30, you can have it. Thirty mm-hmm. hours of pain, I think he says, right? Is that yep. what he says? All at once. All at once. And it's uh, very much a reckoning for top dollar to just have the consequences of his actions thrown in his right. face. Right. Right. Like right. right after he, he so pompously, you know, admitted to him, oh, you know, that's me. Nothing happens without my say so. Right. You know, it's like, oh, you know what? Why don't you take it then? <laughs> He's a great bad guy, man. He really is. <laughs> yeah. I, I really love the this is I think it was the, it was the first time I saw a villain that was just bored the sense yeah. of ennui that the character has and yeah. uh, when he says to uh, eric you have put a smile on my face like for this one day he had fun again which is so core to the character uh uh the boardroom scene earlier when he's like talking about the crass commercialization of devil's right. night and he wants he wants them to light a fire so big that the gods notice us again right yeah, and, and, and he's such an idiot too. <laughs> like, yeah. are we having fun or what? It's like <laughs> you, you are not. You're, you're only like, I don't know how he clawed his way to above all of his thugs because he's right there with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> all right, I don't have anything else, Danny. You got any wrap up stuff on this one? There's the hangman's joke thing. There's there's the Sarah meeting him and the, there, there's a lot of great points, but I think right. that all it does for me is it continues the, the, the point that they made good choices. Yeah. Like me pushing that cat off the back of the table. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the, they, they chose great imagery, you know, like that, that the, the window he goes through being used for so yeah. many pivotal scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to point it out earlier, but I think that it it was it was pretty close to to what Jason had just said in in some way, and I didn't want to traipse over the same thing. But I do want to say that that portal, that eye, that round window, yeah. is is such a great image to repeat and to go to for so many important scenes. Well, I mean, you think about that immediately when you think about this movie because it is such a big part of it. I, you know, just imagery wise, that's just one of the things that stands out, right? Is that mm-hmm. window, and yeah, it's it's 
again, just iconic. All right, Jason, what you got, man? Uh, honestly, after Albrecht's apartment scene and the rooftop confrontation, I really don't think there's too much more to say about this movie at this point, aside from, like Danny said, little tiny things. But at, at this point, I really think we've yeah covered the good stuff. Yeah, I I, we, I would I'll just say that it really surprised me how well it held up, and mm-hmm. and I really. If not, I probably enjoyed it more now mm-hmm. than when I saw it because I'm I'm looking at it through a different set of lenses now, and I was right. really impressed with how well it's put together. The flashback scenes don't take you out of it like it does in a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's just solid, man. It's a solid, well-made movie, and there's so many factors of why it works. We've talked about all of them. But you have to have, I think, this combination for it to work right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll be surprised if we can ever put another one together and it still have the same abilities that this one's has got. This surprises people every time the topic comes up. But naturally, everyone uh, comes to me with uh, wanting to know my opinion on if they remake the movie. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of want to see what they do with it. Sure. Uh, Times have changed. Um, they can do closer to the uh, comic book. They can, you know, there are admittedly a few dated bits of this movie and uh, some overly campy performances they could do away with. And sure. if they make a, a a new take on the movie, it will not take this movie away from me. So I'm all for seeing a remake. It just, at this point, They've been talking about it for 20 years, so right. it'll probably be another 20. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is one of those that you could definitely do a sequel to or a reboot, however you want to do it. And it's still there's still enough playground to make it happen, right? But, again, it's just so much of it is so important of who you get in the role, if you're going to mm-hmm. follow the actual material or not. And I think that's where things kind of get off course when – they just start wanting to crank something out because they've got a deadline of when they got to get something done. Right. right. Because it's an IP. They know that people will go to see, to, right. you know, the, the only reason we want to make this movie is we know that it played before. Right. And that's, that's, that's not a good reason. Right. And like we always say here at Hillman, I, I wanted to say this, there are things we could talk about that we didn't, that were well put together scenes but it's not going to compare with you going out and watching it yourself. Absolutely. We gave you our high points and our favorite moments because we want to entice you to check it out if you haven't. Yep. Because like Rick said, it holds up and, uh, and and it's a quality film. It really is. And it shouldn't be. That's the thing. This is. The <laughs> kind, I'm serious. This is the kind of movie that would, I think, and that's part of the problem, is it would easily be overlooked, right? Of it being a comic book movie or being a low budget or even a grindhouse kind of thing because of the subject you know matter that's in it but it's really surprisingly well made well put together really good solid acting it, it just it knocks it out of the park mm-hmm. so all right jason yes I want, you, I want you to take the time tell everybody where they can find all your stuff everything you got going on because i know you've already got you always got something happening <laughs> uh yeah my main project these days as it has been for uh just about 13 years is yeah. triskadecaphiles.com where three times a month on the 1st, the 13th, and the 26th because 13 <laughs> um, mm-hmm. 
I take a look at some obscure, cheesy horror movie, and I mix in a couple of the classics just to kind of bring people in. You got to talk about Friday the 13th to, sure. to appease the masses. True. Uh, but a lot of the movies there are in the same vein as you talked about on Short Bus. And right. um, my other project is an actual podcast, which kind of went on hiatus a while back. And um, my motivation has kind of, uh, my get up and go has got up and went, as I like <laughs> to say. Um, but it's slowly coming back. I've got a couple things recorded. I kind of want to do a side side project with that where... Uh, the main show always, I should mention the name, The Bloodstream. Right. Uh, as right. I like to say on the show, just search for The Bloodstream, and it's the the podcast that is not about medicine. That's a good caveat. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and uh, that the, the gimmick of that show is basically finding stuff that's on streaming and just kind of rambling about it. The main show is... Uh, pretty produced. I throw in clips. I sometimes do little skits, but that's very tiring. And I kind of just want to do a, a sideshow, not a sideshow, <laughs> <laughs> a side project where I just just sit down and talk about a movie and don't have to worry about all the production of it. Just to to because I love talking about really weird, obscure movies that I stumble across because right they're just fun to talk about. Absolutely, yeah. whether they're good or bad. Uh, and those are my two main things right now. Yeah, I, I knew I didn't know where you were on the bloodstream. I didn't know if that was still going or not. But I, you know, I remember checking some of those out. And you're exactly right. I mean, call the kettle black. Look at <laughs> look at what we do here, and, and it's yeah. all it's always been about the bells and whistles and stuff. But the most important thing is talking about these movies and getting people to check them out. And yeah. it's a hard sell when you start talking about short bus, all these kind of movies, right? Because mm-hmm. Unless you can really point out just how crazy some of this stuff is that makes people go get intrigued about it and go check it out, it's it's a hard sell. It's easy to say, yeah, Friday the thirteenth, you know, right? It's it's been done, but trying to get those things that other people haven't seen is that's a task, right? So right, then you have the idiots like me that listen to the show and are like, oh, that's a really horrible movie. I have to go see. <laughs> I got to check it out, right? Yeah, yeah, we know who. Service. That's that's who the audience is is for, right? That's the same right. thing. When Danny and I decided to do this, it was, hey, we just want people to either check them out for the first time or revisit them, mm-hmm. just like in this case. You know, if we weren't talking about the crow, it'd probably been another five or six years before I watched it again, and right. I'm glad I did. And now the the thing is, hey, folks out there, do something for yourself. Go pull out a copy of the crow and watch it again. I think you're going to be surprised. Yep, and remember, it can't rain all the time. It can't, it can't rain, rain all, the, all time. the time. Yeah, I, I love it when the when she pulls out the record and starts playing. It starts going six six crush six six, six crush. Six crush. <laughs> <laughs> That's who we need. We need Sammy Kerr and Eric on the rooftop playing guitar together. Oh, that would yeah. be epic. <laughs> I think I think Sammy Kerr was in that car with T Bird too, wasn't he? <laughs> Rock's uh, chosen warrior. Rock's chosen warrior, which may be coming to Hell Ming really soon, folks. You never know. Yeah, yeah. I, 
I hadn't watched it in a while and I was super surprised at how good that movie is. <laughs> like I, I loved it, but I thought it was like, Oh yeah, I'm, I've got these rose glasses going on. Right. But no, it's just really that good. Yeah. It's anyway. a good one, man. <laughs> For another episode. Yes. All right. Danny, you got anything else? No, thanks for listening and go check out The Crow. Thanks yes. for being here, Jason. Yeah, man. Glad Jason. to be here. This is a great episode and movie to uh, uh, make my debut on the Hail Ning Power Hour. Absolutely, man. Glad you joined us, buddy. Glad to be here. All right, folks. Adios. We will check you later and have a happy new year, yo. Oh, that's the wrong sound. It's this one. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.